Welcome to another sermon from New Bethel Baptist Church. I hope that this sermon will help you to better know who God is, challenge you to grow in your faith, and compel you to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. All right, so if you have your Bible and you want to turn while they're going back there to the book of John, we're going to be in chapter 20. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. Uh, So the last time that we as, as a church gathered together was this past Friday. And that was to celebrate Good Friday, which is the time where we remember the crucifixion of Jesus. And today we come together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus because Good Friday is good because of what he did for us on the cross, because he went to the cross for our sins. But it's even better because we know that he didn't stay in that tomb. And so today we celebrate the empty tomb, and that's the title of today's sermon. And and as we reflect on this, I want to remember and think about all that God has done. And I want us to, to realize that what we celebrate today, the resurrection, is the most consequential event that has ever happened. There is not a thing that has happened in human history that has had more impact and has more impact still today and in the future than the resurrection. You can think through your life and all of the moments where the world almost seemed to stand still because of the things that happened. There have been many moments throughout all of our lives where things change the way the world works. One of those would be COVID not too long ago. But there's not a more consequential event, nothing that should change our lives more, nothing that should change the way we live more than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want us to look at today. But as we approach it, I can say all of those things. And, and I, as I look out, I can see many of you that, that seem to agree with what I'm saying about that. This is the most consequential thing. This should change your life. It should change the way you live. But I want to make sure that we don't just say these things, but we look at why it matters to us. Why does this matter to you today? Why does it matter to you today that 2,000 years ago, God raised Christ from the dead? Why does it matter that that tomb is empty? So we're going to look at that this morning. I want you to keep that in mind. Why does all of this matter to you? Why does it matter? We're going to look at John 21 through 10 as we get into this this morning. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken from the tomb. So she ran and she went to Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went with the other disciple, and they were both going toward the tomb, both of them running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together this morning. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, this time that we can gather together and look at your word. We can look and see the account of of the resurrection in scripture. We can look and see what you have shown us about yourself. And God, I pray that as we look at this this morning, that we would be convinced of who you are. We would be convinced of who Jesus is and what you've done for us. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray this morning. Amen. 
So as we look at this, as they come through this story, as they come to the tomb, they find it empty. Now, the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, is John. He reveals that at the end of the book. But I, I do love the detail that he had to include that John outran Peter. He just had to make sure that all of human history would know that he was faster than Peter. But, but Mary comes, and she finds the tomb empty. And she's distressed. They think that they've taken Jesus somewhere else. And it's revealed in the passages that follow this, through angels and through the appearance of Jesus, that Jesus is not they say, why do you look for the dead among the living? He's not here. He is alive. So we're celebrating the empty tomb today. And as I mentioned to you before, I can say these things. I can tell you these things. I can, I can talk until I'm blue in the face about how important this is for your life. But I want you to know it for yourself. And so as we look at this, I want you to think about the question, why does this matter to me? And I think first we have to start with the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is this one that, that we are saying has raised from the dead? Who is Jesus? Well, first I think it's important that we look and we, we consider who do people say that he is? Who do people say that Jesus is? You know, today there are a lot of people that, not really a lot, more than, a lot less than people might think that might say that Jesus is not real. You know, if you look into the scholarly literature, if you look into the, the historical scholars, there's only a small minority that would ever say, even whether they're Christian or not, that Jesus was not a historical figure. The evidence for Jesus being a historical figure is greater than any other historical figure that is his age or greater in, in age, or even some that are newer in history than him. Jesus was absolutely a historical figure. So some people might be like, why should I even believe Jesus existed? Not very many people truly hold that with, with evidence behind it or what they would claim to be evidence. Now, a lot of people, even people that aren't Christians, would say, well, he was a good teacher. It's really hard if you look through the Gospels and you see some of the things that Jesus said to look at him and say, well, I don't really agree with that. Love your neighbor. Well, I don't agree with that. Not many people say that. People understand the importance of forgiveness, of, of patience, of the things that Jesus taught. So they look at him and they'll say, well, he was a good teacher. But they'll say all that he, that's all that he was. There's, and there's also been certainly many people who have twisted his words for their benefit because of his reputation as a good teacher, as one with authority. And then there's people who say, well, Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was a prophet. Most religions, I don't know if you knew this, most religions in the world acknowledge Jesus in some way. So the Quran, so, so Muslims, the Quran talks about Jesus, specifically talks about Jesus talks about him being born of a virgin, talks about the ascension, but does not claim the same facts about Jesus that we believe about his death, burial, resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. Cert they certainly don't believe that he was God in the flesh. But they talk about him. They give him respect as a, pro as a good teacher. Hindus respect him as a holy man, even acknowledging him as divine, although that's not a unique thing in their religion. Many people or many uh, figures are divine in their mind. And Buddhists see him as an enlightened and holy man. And the Jews view him as a failed Messiah of sorts because they didn't, he didn't establish a kingdom that wouldn't end. He didn't establish an earthly kingdom at that time. So they view him as a failed Messiah. And as I've heard, uh, there, there's one practicing Jew that's pretty popular in, in modern society, Ben Shapiro. What he says about Jesus is that he thinks he was a political revolutionary that got himself killed for his trouble. That's what they think about him. And some might even say that he had some good teachings. But here's the important question. 
Who does the Bible say that Jesus is? And then through that, who does Jesus say that he is? Can Jesus just be a good teacher or a prophet or any of these things? Well, who does Jesus claim to be? One of the phrases, if you look through scripture at all, if you've heard very many sermons, is he claims to be the son of man. He talks about the son of man, right? Well, okay, well, I'm a son of man, right? My, my dad's a man and I'm a son, so I'm, a, it's different. We have to understand that, that this title of the son of man is referring to a passage in Daniel where it talks about the one like a son of man coming before the ancient of days who will be given an everlasting kingdom and all nations would be subject to him. So this figure of, of claiming to be the son of man is claiming to be the one who would have an eternal kingdom. And that's why the, the, the Jewish people, the Pharisees at that time, were very taken aback by the way that Jesus spoke about himself. So this was a title of great significance. We go beyond that, he claims to be the son of God. And the Gospels are filled with examples of people who believe him to be the son of God. And he doesn't correct them and expresses that view at times. And even going a bit further than that, we see an expression of the Trinity and how Jesus teaches and how he talks about himself because he claims to be God in the flesh. And if you know about the Trinity, we're not going to go into it too in depth right now, but Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. There's one God expressed in three persons. So that's what we believe about Jesus, that Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the son of that part of the Trinity. Emmanuel, what we talk about around Christmas time a lot, Emmanuel means God with us. And here's what I want you to see how distinctly he expresses this in John 8, 57 through 58. When he's talking to the Jews at this point in time about, about Abraham, he's talking about, uh, about how Abraham longed to see his day and how all of these things were happening. They're like, you're not even 50 years old and you've seen Abraham because Abraham was thousands of years before Jesus. And Jesus said to them, so this is what he said, John 8, 57 through 58. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So what does that mean? He's just, is he just claiming to be older than Abraham? Is he claiming to be I want you to understand the fullness of this. In, in Exodus, when Moses is speaking to God, and he's going to go and set the people free from Pharaoh, he says, How, who should I tell them sent me? What should I say the name of the one who sent me? As in Exodus 3, 14, he says to them, says to Moses, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said this, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Before Abraham was, I am. He is claiming to be the same God that they've known from the beginning, the same God that delivered them from Egypt. And here's what we, we, we kind of went past this on Friday evening, but here's, this is so powerful. In John 18, four through six, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said, whom do you seek? This is in the garden when he's being arrested. They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth. Jesus said to him, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When, Je when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground because they could not stand before the one who is the great I am. Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh and the son of God. So he's the, the son of man, the son of God, God in the flesh. And he also claims very exclusively to be the way to the father. John fourteen six says this. 
Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I, I, I saw something. We're, we're kinda, you kind of come to a crossroads at this point about Jesus because you either are going to have to accept who Jesus says that he is or you're going to have to reject him entirely. Because I, I saw this person that had talked about their journey to faith in Christ, and they talked about how they were looking at all the world religions, and, and most of them, as I mentioned, they talked about how Jesus was someone to be revered, someone of, of, of good status. And so he, this person noticed that, and then when they looked at what Jesus said about himself, said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so if the only thing that all the religions can agree upon is that Jesus is good, but then Jesus says, I am the way, what does that leave you with? Because we come to a crossroads. I think it was C.S. Lewis that talked about it in, in this way. He talked about this idea of a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. I've, I've shown you what Jesus said about himself. If that is what Jesus claimed to be, to be the Son of God, he can't very well be a good teacher if he's not the Son of God. If he is not God in the flesh. Because if you found out your teacher thought they were something they weren't, do you trust whatever else they say? If someone were to say to you, if, if someone were to be your teacher and they, they, they well, I can fly, oh, can you? Okay, I'm going to start to reconsider everything else you've told me. Because if Jesus is not the Son of God, but he claims to be, you have to take into question his other teachings. That or he's crazy. So either he's lying intentionally, you can't call someone a good teacher that lies intentionally. So he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, he's crazy, he thinks he's the son of God, but he's not. Well, that's a crazy person. So either he's lying about it, he knows he's not God, and he, he says it anyway, or he's crazy, or he is who he says he is. He is the Lord. So here's what I want you to consider about who Jesus is, whether, because he is a historical figure. Why would the people believe this? It is agreed upon that these, that the gospels and the letters in the, in, the, in the Bible, they date to right when Jesus, right after when Jesus lived. These are historical books. Okay. Why would the people believe this? Well, we look at a lot of religions that happen in the world and what comes along with the people who start those religions, fame, power, money, influence. Do you know what happened to the, the disciples? All but one of them killed for their faith. The Apostle Paul, who persecuted the church, converts and is then later killed for his faith. It wasn't until 313 A.D. that Christianity became legal. So until that time, now depending on who was ruling at that time, there was periods of, of more ease for Christians and there was periods of much harsher things for Christians. But Christians could be persecuted legally for their faith. It was illegal to be Christian. They could be put to death because they claimed that Jesus was Lord. So why would these people believe it? Why would they say Jesus rose again unless they believed it? Because one fact that people don't dispute in history, one thing that could have stopped this very easily is that the tomb was empty. Because all the Romans had to do, all the Jews had to do is that he didn't raise again. Here's his body. And the harshest of, of proponents would say, well, they stole his body. Why would they do that so that they could be reviled and killed for what they believe? When Jesus died, they, they scattered. They didn't come back together till they had seen the risen Savior. 
So who is Jesus? Jesus is God in the flesh. Who? But why did he come? Why did Jesus come? Why did he have to come? Jesus came to solve the problem of sin. This is an essential part of the story. Jesus came to solve the problem of sin. You've probably heard talk of the gospel, and the the gospel is what we celebrate on Easter, the good news of what Jesus has done. It's not good news unless we understand the bad news. And the bad news is that sin exists in the world and exists in every single one of our lives, my life and in your life. We see in the Bible that Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and through that, sin entered into the world. People chase after what they want, rather than what God wants. They're disobedient to him. And so we see that God gives the law to his people. The Old Testament, we see his law given to them. Do these things. Don't do these things. Here's the manner in which I want you to live. And he gives them a covenant. But time and time again, it's almost like if you read through the Old Testament, you'll, you'll start to wonder if you've already read this before, because in some ways you have. Then a generation arose that didn't know the Lord. They fell away. God brings them back. Then a generation arose that didn't know the Lord, and they fall away because they chase after their sin, the things they want, the things that are not what God wants for them, instead of chasing after God. And then we see the prophets in the Old Testament that point forward to and reveal God's plan of salvation, his ultimate plan of salvation for his people. From the beginning, God had a plan of redemption through Christ. From the very beginning, he had a plan of redemption through Christ. And we see this in one of our favorite verses. But we're going to go beyond that because it's not just one verse that we see this in. John 3, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So here's here's what we see here. We all know John 3.16, or you've probably heard it before. God so loved the world to send his Son. So whoever whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. In that, we see the whole picture. Because of our sin, we are on a path to perishing. Because we are guilty Uh, If you ask any kid as they go through life, you ask any adult, what happens when you break the law? You get punished. So we break God's law and there is punishment. There is wrath against us for that justly because God is a just God. When we see evil things happen in the world, we want those things to be punished. We just don't like to think that we are included in what is evil in the world. But we can't keep God's law. We can't do it by our own works. But the good news, this is why it's called the gospel, is that God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, though he could have, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The idea of being saved means there's peril at hand. You don't go up to somebody walking down the street and just grab them and say, I just saved you. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. Now you go grab somebody that's about to be hit by a car and you pull them out of the way that you don't have to tell them you saved them. You saved me. Why? Because there was peril at hand. Something was coming for them that they could not change in that moment, or maybe they weren't even aware of in that moment. 
God sent his son to intervene on our behalf. He sent his son so that we could be made right with him. So that this sin that punishment exists for might be that we could be saved from that. So how is he going to accomplish this? We see this through the next question. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did Jesus die on the cross? We've already talked about it. There was wrath from God for sin. And God is a just God, and he is going to punish sin. And we read in the last passage, too, whoever does not believe is condemned already. It's not as though if you don't believe God will condemn you, you stand condemned because of what you have done, because of your sin. But God is making a way that you can be saved through Jesus. We see a beautiful example is in Romans 3, 20 through 25. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. I want to stop right there for a second. So God gave his law, right? The Ten Commandments. It's an easy place to think about. By following his law, no one's going to be justified. Because because you know what you're not supposed to do, and you realize you do it, you're guilty. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. We cannot earn our salvation or pay for it in any other way. But God has made a way of righteousness that is not based upon our works, but by faith in Christ. All people who believe have salvation, regardless of background. Right here, he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, but it doesn't matter where you come from, what your background is, where you grew up. If you believe in Jesus, you can be saved. He was put forward as a propitiation by his blood. This is a, a, a sacrifice which he atoned for our sin, and, and he appeased the wrath of God. And so because of this, when Jesus died on the cross, when you think about that idea of he died on the cross, he died for your sin. That is, the, the, he took your punishment so that the wrath of God that is coming as punishment for your sin would be appeased. So that you would not have to bear the punishment of your sin, so that we might be called righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so on the cross, what God is doing is he's taking a righteous one, the righteous one, Jesus Christ, dying for unrighteous people, so that those unrighteous people could be called the righteousness of God. And this has been God's plan from the beginning. It says the law and the prophets attest to it. I want you, I want you just one example from the Old Testament. You think about in, in the beginning, Abraham, right? What did Abraham want? What did God promise Abraham? A son. So he has Isaac. What does God ask Abraham to do? Take him up the mountain. Sacrifice your son, your only son. 
And so what do we see here? Isaac led by his father, carrying wood to the place of his death. But God provides a sacrifice. And what do we see all of these years later? Jesus led by his father, carrying his cross to the place of his death, the perfect sacrifice provided by God for the forgiveness of our sins. And so we see, even with Abraham, he's showing him, he's like, it's a picture of what he's going to do. I'm not asking you to give your son, but I'm going to give my son for you. Jesus is the sacrifice that we needed. We could not earn it. And then we see the prophecy that concerns Jesus. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The, the, the beautiful thing about this, this is in Isaiah 53, 5. This sounds like something from one of the letters, right? Talking about how he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we were healed. This was before Jesus ever lived. This is talking about the one who would come and pay the price for our sins. One of the, the beautiful things I saw, it was, it was a quote, I think, from, I think it's D.A. Carson that said, Condemnation, sin entered the world through one man in the garden saying, not your will, but mine be done. Right? When, when Adam and Eve rejected what God had said and they ate of what they were forbidden to eat. And then we see redemption enter through one man. When in the garden he said, not my will, but yours be done. Through what Christ has done for us. So Jesus died on the cross for our sins. You've probably heard that before in your life. Well, today we're not celebrating Jesus dying on the cross. That was Friday. Today we're celebrating the resurrection. So why does the resurrection matter? The resurrection is why we are here today. Because I tell you, the, the disciples were scattering. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, I don't think there would have been a religion called Christianity. Maybe a few people would have still tried to follow his teachings. Maybe there would have been something like that. But the resurrection is why we are here today. The reason the resurrection matters is because this life is not all there is. This life is not all that there is. 1 Corinthians 15, 16 through 22 says this. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by, by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall all be made alive. So if you remember why Jesus came, he came so that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have eternal life. The crucifixion is the, the means by which God has atoned for our sins, and the resurrection is the way that he displays, displays his glory and power and triumph over death. The resurrection is promised that God has not only forgiven our sins, but raised us to new life in Christ. It is the victory over sin and death. What it said in that passage, it said, if, if Christ has not been raised, we are to be pitied among all men. Do you know what that means? There's a lot of people in this world that have this idea of you only live once. Live it up because you're only here for a little while. You only live once. If that was true, they are right. 
If there is no resurrection, if there is no eternal life, if this life is all there is, and Paul really in other parts of that passage says as much, if Christ has not been raised, if there is no eternal life, you should live it up. And he says that we should be pitied among all men because we're, we're chasing after something that's not true. But if Christ has been raised, which I believe he has, and I hope that you believe he has this morning, if Christ has been raised, if there is eternal life, it matters tremendously that you believe in Christ. Because it is a lie that you only live once. It is a lie that this life is all that matters. It is a lie that you should live it up right now. Because there is a life to come. Because Jesus died so that you wouldn't perish, but have eternal life. So life with Jesus begins now and lasts forever. So the, the rest of this earthly life we live, until we are in eternity with him, we should live devoted to following him. We serve the living God. The resurrection matters because we don't serve a man who, who, who died and was buried and remains there. Although many religions are founded upon such things, we serve the living God, a living Savior, one who's been raised from the dead, and through his sacrifice, we can pass from death to life and have eternal life with him. And so here is the most important question that you must answer. The most important question you must answer for yourself. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? In Matthew 16, 15 through 17, Jesus is talking with his disciples and he asks them who people think the son of man is, that, that figure we've talked about from Daniel. And he asks them after that, he asks in Matthew 16, 15 through 17, he, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So the question that you need to answer for yourself this morning is who do you say that Jesus is? Do you believe that, that, that he existed? Do you believe that, that the Bible is true? That he was raised from the dead? That tomb was empty. Why? Because here's the question you have to answer. You have sin in your life. Every one of us does. Do you believe that Jesus came, died, buried, and was raised again for your sin? Because if you believe that Jesus is real, you believe things the Bible says about him, you can't claim that he's just a good teacher. You can't claim that Jesus is just something you're going to add on to something that you kind of intellectually believe. This is life-changing stuff here. When Jesus died on the cross, the disciples were dismayed. When he raised again, they left everything they knew to pursue sharing the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth, even if it cost them their life. And so what I'm imploring you today is that if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, if you know this, if it's something you believe and that he was raised again, this would be something that changes your life. Because if God has raised Jesus from the dead for your sins and has called you to follow him in obedience, what else is there for you to do? I don't know any other person that's raised someone from the dead. I don't know any other person that went into it. I don't see many tombs when I go to the graveyard that are open and the casket's empty. Jesus' tomb is empty. And because it's empty, he calls you to follow him. 
He calls you to repentance and to belief. And so what does that mean this morning? It means that you're one of two people today. You either have believed these things, and what I'm telling you today is something that you can receive with joy, that you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You are a Christian. You have followed him. The call is to follow him with more obedience through your life. That's the call. But if you're sitting here today and you do not have a relationship with Christ, then you are still in your sin. But if you believe that he has died on the cross for you and is raised again, if you will admit your sin, believe in him, and confess him as your Lord and Savior, you will be saved. Now, that's not an insurance policy. That doesn't mean you, you, you pray a prayer and you're good to go. You don't ever come to church again, or you don't ever do anything in your life with Christ again. That means you follow him because you know your life has now begun. You were dead in your sin, and he raised you to life. And so in a moment, Becky's going to come, and we're going to have a time of, of invitation and what I'm inviting you to do is to respond to how God is working in your life. Whether that's to come to the altar and pray, to pray in the things he's convicting you of in your life, or to pray for other people, to pray right where you're at. Whether that's to take a step of obedience for the first time and to make him your Lord and Savior. To say, I believe it and I want to follow him. And if you want to do that, I will be down front this morning. I would love to talk to you. I'll be around afterward too if you as well. But I want you to remain seated for the first part of this, this song and, and to reflect upon what God is doing in your heart, about what God has said about himself, about whether you believe it and what you're going to do because of it. And then part of the way through the song, Becky's going to instruct you to stand and we can continue to worship him together. But you can move throughout any part of it. You can come forward, you can pray, you can turn to the person beside you for prayer. Move how God is convicting you to move today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us and this time that we can just celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. And God, I pray that if there are any here who do not know you this morning, that today would be the day they would cry out to you for salvation. Because you didn't send Jesus to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through them. And the way that we can be saved is through believing in what Jesus has done. And that belief will result in obedience in our lives. And God, I pray for those of us who know you, who have been saved, that we would follow you with obedience, that this would be something that changes the way we live, that everything we would do would consider the resurrection. Father, I pray that you would move in each of our hearts this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.